Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 40 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini. And Peter, yet another milestone for us as we reach episode 40. We have a lot to talk about tonight, including playoff predictions, the North Division continues, and who's going to start net for the Toronto Maple Leafs come playoff time. But first, how are you doing tonight? Doing good, doing good. Like you said, playoff edition of Sticks in the Six. I've been waiting to say that for quite some time. You haven't said that since the bubble, but you know what? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm just so excited with the playoff hockey that we've seen so far right now. Three straight overtime games, a nail-biter and intense game between Florida and Tampa for the Battle of Florida. Um, This is just going really well. This is the kind of playoff hockey that we've expected and that we wanted, and fans are back for most of the teams. So you're getting that playoff intensity no matter what right now. Yeah, no, you uh, you said it. Uh, this year has been much different than years past, and rivalries are really amping up in in these new divisions that have been created in the NHL and and obviously that Florida rivalry I think this is the first time we've seen some meaningful hockey between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Panthers and it is off to a crazy start yeah but before we get into all of that our new ritual here on the pod is to go through players that have worn the number of the uh, episode that we're on we're on episode 40. Nine players in the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs have worn the number 40 starting in 1990. The most recent wearing it in 2021. Can you name any of the nine players? I know that, well, based on the past, Michael Grabner and Garrett Sparks are the only two that come to mind. And I believe that... Anti Sorella, Suomela, sorry, not Sorella. I don't know why I'm saying Sorella. Um, briefly wore that when he was up with the Maple Leafs this year. So those are the only three that came to my mind. Not bad, three for three. So Eight. and the three most three most recent players that in fact. So 1990, mm-hmm. Ty Domi was the first Maple Leaf to wear the number forty. Obviously, really? he later changed it to uh, twenty eight. But 1990, he wore the number forty. That's a weird number for him. That is. It does not Very come to mind when you think Ty Domi. But Ken McRae followed that up in 1994. Kelly Fairchild, 1996. Phil Oreskovich in 2009. UC Renus in 2012, 2013. Troy Bodie in 2014-15. And then, of course, Grabner in 2016. Garrett Sparks in 2019. And Antti Suomela in 2021. So nine players since 1990, have donned the number 40 on the Maple Leafs. There's your trivia for the this evening. And as we have in recent weeks, we are recording on Sunday night, day two of the NHL playoffs. And while that's going on, the North Division continues with some meaningless <laughs> hockey. <laughs> Carolina, or sorry, Carolina. 
the Canucks and the Flames are playing a regular season game as the North Division closes out their 56-game schedule. Obviously, the Canucks, having dealt with their COVID issue, mm-hmm. um, had some, schedule, some scheduling uh, pushed back, uh, which will also delay the start of the North Division series. Um, obviously, being a Toronto podcast, we are interested in, to, in seeing the Toronto Maple Leafs get their uh, series underway. But with that said, on night two of the NHL playoffs, they left a regular season game as the final game of the night. Yeah, I was kind of hoping for something, not a shot at like Canucks or Flames, but I was hoping for something a little more entertaining than just that because, I I mean, I don't get the reason behind why Edmonton and Toronto have to hold off with their series. I understand the game on Saturday where Edmonton still had to finish off their regular season and the Vancouver Canucks because with that, the Edmonton Oilers completed their 56 games. I totally get that. But right now, what we're seeing with the Canucks of Flames, like you said, it's meaningless hockey. Unless it's just for like draft positioning, if there's someone, one team's going to go higher or lower in the standings for a draft pick, that is it. Every other, all the four teams that have made the playoffs have completed their season. Why do they have to wait almost a week to get started when other teams, well, we're, we're already seeing it right now, two days into the Stanley Cup playoffs. And when they start up, they're going to be two, three games behind every other series. Just because it's a different division right now and that, you know, they may want to say, okay, we got to let them finish first. They're eliminated. It does not matter. It's not going to impact the standings. It's over. It's done with. The way I look at it is it's a relegation series. So while all the other teams are in the playoff mode, like in the World Junior Championships or Double IHF, this is a relegation fighting it out to see who's going on. They don't wait to do the elimination rounds for the international tournaments. They do everything at once. This should have been the case where, okay, One division still has games to play. Doesn't matter. Just get them started. They should have at least played. I would have said, you know, tomorrow night or tonight, which is going to be or I'm not sure when this is going to air, whether it's Monday or Tuesday should be aired uh, or should be played on Monday or Tuesday. That gives Edmonton a day's rest to prep. If you want to give them two days, let them play Tuesday. But both Toronto and Edmonton should be playing their series on Tuesday, not Thursday. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I wonder a little bit how much of this will hurt teams that get the extra rest. I mean, we've seen it in years past mm-hmm. where the extra rest doesn't always play into um, the favor of those teams getting it. That said, I mean, we're talking about a totally different season where everything was so compressed as it is that maybe this rest will actually help some of the teams, including the Maple Leafs, dealing with injuries, yes, um, and and getting their players a little bit more, um, you know, just mentally ready for that uh, those those tough playoff runs. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, at a certain point, you just they should have just said, you know what, Canucks Flames, they're done, they're out. It doesn't really matter. I guess in a way, you look at you know statistic padding for players um you know what what how do they lose out if if they don't get to play those games it it is kind of a selfish look 
in that sense. But mm-hmm. I mean, I get it from that standpoint. I still am not convinced that it was worth playing. Um, yeah. At a certain point, you want to get into playoff hockey, and that's what you you know you work all season to get there. I think they should have just kind of let the North Division take take uh, take fold and and start to uh, start to get that underway. I mean, obviously, we've seen some good games so far. We'll get into that in a little bit, but yeah, I just it, for me, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense to to get these game these games played. I mean. The Canucks have had a had a long year as it is. The Flames, yeah. you know, never didn't really deal with COVID, but still had a tough year as it was. Um, you know, I I just think it's it's kind of a shot at them to force them to play these these meaningless games. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it is what it is, and and we do have yeah. some meaningful hockey going on. Um, uh, before we get into that, I just want to run through a couple of quick notes. Um, obviously, we have uh, – sorry, I'm just going to jump forward here. Ottawa Senators did uh, announce a signing. They signed defenseman Artem Zub to a two-year contract extension, obviously his first year with the, the Sens, and and he, uh, he, was a, he was a force for a team that actually yeah. probably performed much better than many expected them to. A really um, good, really good standout bringing him in, and yeah. just the depth that it was kind of a weak point for them. He was pretty solid, so that was a really good signing on their end. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the Colorado Avalanche obviously take home the President's Trophy. They had an incredible year. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights had an incredible year. It came down to the wire. You know, Toronto had a slim chance at getting that President's Trophy. Obviously, Colorado came away with it. That said, the NHL also announced that they will not be uh, handing out conference championship trophies this year. Greg Wyshynski wrote a great article about how there is no worry about the the trophy jinx this this season because of it. <laughs> um, the Minnesota Minnesota Wild uh, forward Ryan Hartman was fined five thousand dollars this week under uh, the the maximum un- allowable under the CBA for a dangerous trip on St. Louis's Sammy Blay again sticking to the uh, def- um, Department of Player Safety's run of $5,000 fines um and yeah i mean some just some small news obviously with with that uh one thing i did want to get into and and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more with the Maple Leafs but the NHL released their goalie power rankings on NHL.com. Oh. Yeah, don't and, get me started with that. Maybe I'll save this for Leafs talk, but <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll we'll get into that in a second. But I, yeah. I do want to I do want to talk about that. The uh, in other news, the the Rangers have hired Mike Greer as an advisor to hockey operations. Um, obviously, Drury and Greer go way back to the mid '90s. Uh, they were teammates at uh, Boston University. Um, and, and also played together in Buffalo. So that's, uh, that's, he obviously fills, uh, the, the spot left by Brian Leach. Um, but yeah, I mean, some, some big news obviously. Um, but with all that said, let's get right into the playoff talk. Um, Big games already. We started the the playoffs three for three in overtime games. Some some great hockey being played. I want. I think we should get right to predictions. I think we're gonna do uh, first round predictions uh, this week. We'll get into what we think of each series. We'll run through each series. 
Um, but uh, yeah, uh, let's let's uh, start with the Washington series. Obviously, um, kind of fitting that Tom Wilson opened the scoring for playoffs. Uh, a guy who very much could have been suspended to start the to start the postseason, mm-hmm. um, yet he's not. So, what are you seeing in this Boston Washington first round matchup? What we already saw in game one, it's going to be physical. It's going to be a series where, you know, it stems back to that Brandon Cardell hit that Wilson made and he was suspended seven games for. Whoever comes out on top, they're going to be battered and they're going to be bruised because they combined for 92 hits in game one. That was a physical beatdown. And you saw a monster in Alex Ovechkin just taking runs at everybody bodies were flying it was intense that was textbook playoff hockey and i doubt the like obviously the bruins are familiar with what happened uh let's be realistic i don't think they'll try and get revenge on wilson considering they know what's on the line it's playoff hockey they're gonna they're gonna take runs at him but they're not going to do anything stupid to jeopardize you know power play advantage Washington scores is going to hurt them and all that but um that was a that was an intense series and the fact that that the first game went into overtime and actually first three went into overtime but that series right now is one series that I'm definitely keeping an eye on because of that intensity and physicality yeah I mean Wilson obviously added an assist later in the game. I mean, this is kind of what we talked about though last episode is that Tom Wilson has that ability to play the game. Absolutely. And, and that's what, I mean, that's what we want to see. We want to see a guy that can come out there and play on the edge, but also, you know, be a contributor offensively. And I think that's why everyone's so pissed off about with, you know, how he plays the game is mm-hmm. because they know that he has that ability. Um, but, I mean, he's obviously a force for Washington. And, and uh, for him to be able to play the way that he plays, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I thought the experience of the Bruins was going to be a big uh, big part of this series. And Washington just came out and showed what they, that you know, they still have a lot left in the tank. Um, guys like Ovechkin going out there and playing, and he he started the game off with a huge hit on David Krejci that just oh, yeah you know really set the tone early. He's a guy that also plays physically and maybe you know I know we talk about it when he lays those big hits, but um, you know he does it so quietly sometimes that you don't really remember that he plays that physical side sometimes. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean just. Uh, such a such a big series it's going to be a physical series and you mentioned it whoever comes out on the other side they're going to be hurting from from series number one um for me i do think boston has the edge i just think when it comes down to goaltending obviously we saw um vanacek go down in the first game craig anderson looks like he's going to be the guy Mm -hmm. uh they also called up zach fukali uh today so uh, it's seeming more and more like Anderson might be might be the one that they're they're sticking with to to start game two. But um, you know, with Washington up one nothing, I, I I wouldn't count Boston out at this point, and I I'm going to go Boston in six. Considering the fact that Craig Anderson has played very little hockey this season, 
I I'm looking at his stat line right now. I think he's only played in three regular season games. He comes in at the worst possible time where Vanacek, who is a starter, gets injured, and he's coming in blind-eyed to a series right now where, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure. I mean, when you see something like that happens, you're like, okay, I, you got to be dialed in no matter what, and he was dialed in, and considering the fact that he hasn't played a lot of minutes – Shows that Craig Anderson is, you know, still a pretty damn good goalie at this point. So heading in, I said Washington in seven. Obviously, that injury to Vanacek does come into play right now. But if they're going to rely heavily on their offensive weapons, like Ovechkin, like Carlson, like Backstrom, like TJ Oshie, who looked like he got the game winner, but it was tipped in by Nick Dowd. Um they're going to be at the forefront. They're going to be laying everything on the line. They're going to be leading the offensive charge. And I think right now that if I don't want to say Washington has the edge in the offensive department because of the fact that, you know, Boston has that perfection line. They got three players that could hurt you no matter what. I just think right now, Washington, I have them in seven still, no matter what. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it'll be interesting. You, sorry, you said Washington and seven. Yeah, I think it's going to be. Yeah. It's definitely going to go. I mean, it's it going the go distance. The, it, it, it could go the distance. Yeah, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I say Boston six. I'm giving, I'm giving Washington one more win. But I do think that the, the experience of the Boston Bruins. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, they lost a guy like Sedano Chari. Yeah, they lost a guy like. Um, Tory Krug, which does hurt them on the back end, but you know you put Kevin Millar back in there and uh, Charlie McAvoy. Charlie McAvoy, uh, Tuka's playing again, um, and I think I think Tuka's playing with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder after you know obviously having to leave the bubble last mm-hmm. year, but um, yeah, definitely definitely it's gonna be it's gonna be a a, a heated series. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who comes out of that one. But, um, yeah, definitely, definitely one to keep an eye on. Um, one more point on top of that. I just want to say it was hilarious seeing all the Boston Bruins fans and the comments that they made about Zidane Chara getting away with dirty plays and no penalties when he was doing the exact same thing with the Boston Bruins. So, yeah, now you know what we've all been dealing with. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it, it is kind of humorous in that sense, too, because... It, it, it's almost bittersweet. It's fitting that they stay, they meet in the first round. I do yeah. think it, in game one, Big Z looked a little shaky, whether it's just, you know, playing his, his former teammates. Um, I, I don't know what it was, but he just didn't seem himself. Age is definitely showing. Age is definitely showing, 100%. But, um, yeah, sticking with the East Division, obviously the Pittsburgh Penguins finished number one in the division. They're taking on the New York Islanders. And this is going to be very interesting because it's a Barry Trotz team in the New York Islanders that, you know, obviously we all know how Trotz coaches. He plays a very – or he coaches a very defensive game. The Islanders have – bought in and they went out and got some key pieces at the deadline with Palmieri and, 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 you know, fitting kind of the mold that Trotz has put together. The Penguins on the other hand, you know, obviously lost, lost Matt Murray. 
Um, the way that they play is is entirely offensive. Malkin didn't play in game one. Um, you know, he's a guy that they definitely need back if they're gonna if they're gonna get past this Islanders squad. But is this maybe a spot where the Islanders can really, you know, come out and cause an upset in the first round here? Uh, definitely. And today's game was proof of that. You know, the Pittsburgh was up 2-1. Islanders took advantage of some turnovers. Uh, I believe Brock Nelson was the one who tied it up. They took the lead. Pittsburgh tied it back up. And then Kyle Palmieri, um, who got the scoring started in that game, got the game winner. So there's Lou's um, one of his major trade acquisitions coming through for him at that point. Um, yeah, I do. Th- I have Pittsburgh in six. I'm kind of scared that. And I was going back and forth with this series. Is it going to be an Islanders in six or Penguins in six? I went with the Pens because, you know, they were on a hot streak. They led their division. Um, the fact that, you know, they, they maybe there were. I I honestly thought that they were going to struggle at certain points this year, but they were dominant and consistent throughout the whole entire year. And the fact that they got first place and they had that going for them, I thought that maybe because they had a three-game winning streak, they were going in pretty hot, feeling good about themselves. I think maybe they could have handled the Islanders, but that game... It looks like now I'm starting to re- that may be one of the series that I'm starting to regret my decision because Islanders came out. They mean business. And like you said, Barry Trotz's, uh defensive minded team leading to offense. That's going to be a huge factor for them. Well, and that's been the thing with Trotz all along is that his defensive game has transitioned to offense. And, and mm-hmm. that's why a guy like Matt Barzell can can really succeed in the trots system is because yeah you know what he's not going to get as many offensive opportunities but he's still going to get chances off of defensive plays and that's that's the big that's the big thing for him and that's why I think he re-signed with the Islanders is that he's going to get those opportunities regardless of how the the, the system is with trots but I know people are going to think that just because the Islanders took game one of making this pick, but I, from from the get-go, have believed that the Islanders are going to win in six. And I just, I don't know if it's so much trots, but it's the Islanders play that grimy style of defensive game where they don't let, they don't give up that many opportunities. They play tough. Mm-hmm. They have that fourth line with a guy like Matt Martin on it. They have a guy like Leo Komarov who's, who's not afraid to stir, you know, stir it up on the ice. Those those pieces, those role players are what can create, uh, you know, overall team success. And I do think that, I mean, we've seen the Penguins falter in the past. And now you're talking about Tristan Jari as their starting goaltender, yeah. a guy who doesn't have the same experience as, you know, a Matt Murray did. Um, or a, you know, going back a few years, um, you know, a Marc-Andre Fleury had. So yeah, you have the same type of, of forward depth that you did before, you know, obviously with guys like Zucker and, um, you know, Gunsel and Crosby and, and Carter. hopefully, yeah, Carter and hopefully Malkin coming back. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to, can your goaltender, you know, stop, stop the puck when it, it when need be right and mm-hmm. and us being from 
you know, the Toronto area, we understand that, you know, it's great that you can score, but if another team can score more, you're not you're not you're gonna have some trouble winning games, and that's what it comes down to is what at what point can your goaltender steal a game for you? And yeah. I don't know if Tristan Jari is that guy. And it looks and like I, Sorokin stole that game for them because he made some pretty key saves, especially in overtime. And Sorokin wasn't even supposed to be the starter. They had Varlamov mm-hmm. inked as the starter, but because he couldn't go, Sorokin stepped in. And yeah, I agree. I think he stole game one. So me personally, I have the Islanders in six, but um, again, this is going to be a series that I think is going to be a hard fought battle the entire way. And I I mean, it's a testament to what, uh, what the NHL has in in terms of the parody that exists now in the game. So I I look forward to this series. I think, you know, the East division is going to be fun to watch no matter who makes it out of both these series, but I do have the Islanders in six when it comes to this one. Mm Mm-hmm. Jumping over to the Central Division, the Hurricanes and the Predators. I mean, the Hurricanes. Can we talk about the Hurricanes for a second? Um, <laughs> how quietly they dominated this this division. I and I say dominate. They only finished a point up on on Florida. That said, and and you know that was a little bit of a change for them. Guys like Jordan Stahl stepped up, Svechnikov, Aho, Nikash. Tara Vinen was also injured. Tara Vinen was also injured. I mean, this is a team that, you know, played through so much this season. And maybe it's because of how the divisions were made up. But I feel like we didn't hear nearly enough about the the Carolina Hurricanes this year. Yeah, like they were so quiet. But at the same time, when you saw them play, you saw what makes them successful. They are an offensive powerhouse. And when they get possession, they're going to hurt you. And obviously, you look at uh, Sebastian Ajo, Vincent Trocek, Andre Svechnikov, even Martin Nik- uh, Nikash, who had a very, very underrated season that I don't think he was talked quite as much as he should have because he was very underrated for them. And going in, this is a really good balanced team. I mean, you've got the puck mover in Dougie Hamilton. You've got some stay-at-home guys in Pesci and uh, uh, Jacob Slavin. You have the offensive powerhouses in uh, Aho and Sechikov, like I mentioned. Mrazek was injured, but you had uh, Alex Nadolkovich and uh, James Reimer step up when they needed to. So you got a really good balance, and... I don't know if they're going to win the cup, but they could definitely win a division or be in that conference final. And they are that good and they should not be slept on. No, I, I completely agree. I think it, it's interesting because Nashville is a team that, you know, started off the year, the absolute bottom of the division, just with a fire sale, possibly. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a team that was playing hockey comparable to the Detroit Red Wings and, you know, at this point, obviously Detroit's in a full rebuild. The Predators aren't, and they still had Pecorine in net. They had, you know, obviously UC Saros was the guy that kind of stole that starting job this year. But it just, it wasn't looking good for them. And still, they found a way to get it done, beating out the Stars, beating out a, a Blackhawks team that, you know, probably did better than most thought they would this year. But mm-hmm. I mean, this is a team that has been resilient. 
this this year. They're come they're they they're you know they're heading into the playoffs on, on a two game win streak, uh, seven two and one in their last ten games. Um, you know, a team that again, they might not be the top scoring team in the divi- division, but they're a team that has a lot of offensive skill, and that blue line that they have in Nashville is among the best in the NHL right now. Yeah. This is a team that could potentially, you know, put up a good fight against the Hurricanes. That said, I think Carolina's got this. And and mm-hmm. simply put, because they did they they had such a successful season so quietly, I think now is their time to to kind of make some noise. You know, I mentioned uh, the Predators going in on a, on a two-game win streak. The Hurricanes are going in on a three-game losing streak. But I think that's the time you want to do it. You want to do it before you get to the playoffs. Have your team kind of set, ready to go, and, and understand that, you know, now it's it, it they need to win. They need to win. And I think this is – we're going to see a Hurricanes team that turns it around, obviously rod the bod behind the bench. Um, you know, he's not afraid to stir it up, and he's a guy that's been there. He knows what it takes to get it done. And I've got the Hurricanes in five. Uh, this is where we agree on in both our first time with a team and the games. Cause I have Carolina in five as well. Um, it's funny that, like you said, it was a weird season for the natural predators. As soon as they said, or David Poyle said that, you know, he was looking to trade players. That's when things started to click and said, you know what? Maybe the players, they wanted to keep their job. They wanted to push and play at their best. And it looked like that they did. And you saw a lot of great games from them. So the fact that Roman Yossi, once again, led the team in scoring with 33 points. And then Philip Forsberg right behind him with 32 says a lot about this club. But again, I, I they have players that could step up. They just don't have the depth like they don't have the depth and consistency like they do from Carolina. And I think that's where Carolina is going to thrive because they get contributions throughout their lineup. Um, yeah, you had a, a number of players with 20 plus points. Eric Hala, Ili Tovlin was a great surprise later on. Uh, Matias Ekholm, again, really great. So you they got kind of like the similar pattern but they don't have that elite super level talent is where i'm getting at yeah i think i think the one place this can go wrong for the hurricanes is if morazic doesn't stay healthy um mm-hmm. and, and then you're talking about you know a james reimer appearance in the playoffs and and uh you know as much as i love james reimer we all know how game 7 goes for james reimer so <laughs> Um, that, that could be the one sore spot for, for the hurricanes is if, if they have to battle a few injuries, but that being said, um, I don't see, I don't foresee this going badly for, for Caroline in the first round. I think Mm -hmm. they get past the predators. I think the real test is going to come in the second round when they take on the winner of the, the Florida, the Florida series, um, and with that said, we'll we'll get right into that. Obviously, the Panthers and Lightning played game one of their Florida battle uh, today, Sunday, part of the uh, the big playoff kickoff on uh, on uh, the Sunday afternoon. But um, yeah, I mean, we mentioned it kind of in the opening. This is the first time we've seen the Panthers and the Lightning play some meaningful hockey. 
Um, obviously, Florida, I think it's it's really come down to, you know, when Florida was good, Tampa wasn't. When Tampa was good, Florida wasn't. And now all of a sudden you've got two teams that, you know, have a chance to, to, to make a deep playoff run. And, I mean, that's... You know the Panthers going into the going into this series one six in a row eight and two in their last ten, the Lightning six three and one in their last ten, and I'm going to put the tinfoil hat on for a second here, and throw a conspiracy theory that hey Kucherov, Stamkos injured, a lot of the season, Kucherov comes back and has a hell of a game one for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you there. I mean, the fact that they kept him out on LTIR, I think he could have probably come back maybe in April, closer to when the playoffs started. I just think they held off because of this reason, their salary cap uh, issues as well. And we're no we're no stranger to that because the Maple Leafs have used LTIR to their advantage. But the amount of money that they had on there to free up and get the players that they did that is just ridiculous. And I'm I don't know I'm not gonna throw this out there because maybe Kutrov maybe wasn't hundred percent and maybe the ace thought that okay, playoffs, yeah, we're gonna that's gonna be our deadline no matter what. I it at some point I think maybe teams are gonna clue in and maybe that a rule is gonna be in place where maybe LTIR, you're going to have a certain cap or something like that. I don't know if that's even possible or not because if an injury, if a player gets injured, they get injured. You can't do anything about that. But that's for a different uh, episode right now. It's just crazy how they were able to do what they did with their situation. And I think the biggest thing in that series was was Kucherov going to be rusty? Hell no, he wasn't rusty. He looked fine. Stamkos looked pretty okay as well. I mean, it, this series is going to be interesting. And we saw, again, this is kind of like the Washington-Boston series. There was no animosity, and this rivalry is just taking it up to a whole nother level right now. I mean, let's be honest. Kucherov, we all know Kucherov's been practicing on the side. He was he was good oh, to yeah. go months ago. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> throwing shade right now. But No, for sure. Um, no, I mean, it, it is. It, it's it's the Patrick Kane loophole, and we've talked about it before, where, you know, you add all this salary, and all of a sudden you get to the playoffs, and salary doesn't matter. And and the Leafs are just as guilty as anybody Absolutely. In, in playing with that. I mean, look, at we had Frederick Anderson on, on LTIR for how long? 55 games. Yeah. Or 55 days between games, or whatever it was. Um, Zach Hyman still hasn't been uh, cleared to play. Riley Nash as well. Yeah, yeah. So Riley Nash will be making his debut in Game One. Sheldon Keefe did uh, did release that, but mm-hmm. um, just I mean, it it is what it is. I mean, that's right now. That's a loophole in 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 the NHL, and and teams are going to use that to their advantage. Now that being said, this is a Lightning squad who are coming off a Stanley Cup win. This is a Lightning squad who have now been there. They know what it takes. They know what needs to get done to win. another cup the panthers are a little bit more inexperienced when it comes to playoff hockey Mm -hmm. now that being said you have a guy like carter verrahi that seems to be you know having the the year of his life right now uh former leaf let's uh let's shout that out (laughs) um you know you've got a you've got a team that has you know, Bobrovsky and Net, obviously uh, Drieger or Drieger, sorry, I don't know how to pronounce it. 
Um, he 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 stepped up for the Panthers this year. Uh, Spencer Knight just having an unbelievable start to his NHL career. So, in terms of goaltending, I think you know there's no question that the Panthers can match up with a guy like Andre Vasilevsky. I think where the Lightning might have the edge is when it comes to their overall depth. And we've seen what this blue line can do. We've seen what Hedman can do in a series. He's a game-changing player. For me, I find it hard to believe that the Panthers are going to find a way past the Tampa Bay Lightning, especially with the Lightning coming back, um, you know, off a, off a Stanley Cup run, especially with them, you know, having guys like Kucherov and and uh, Stamco step back into the lineup. I'm... I don't see that happening. And and remember, Stamkos missed all of last playoffs aside from one game due to injury. Yeah. This guy is going to be fl- absolutely flying when he gets into the lineup. Kucherov missed all season. This is a guy who put up two goals in game one and just he's an absolute stud. We've seen what he can do with the puck. He's he's an offensive terror for, for opponents. For me, I think it, it's... You know, this is probably one one of the easier series for me to pick. I think it's going to be rough. I think it's going to be physical. I think the Panthers are going to miss a guy like Ekblad. I do think the Lightning take this one in six. Yeah, and what I'm looking at too is just looking at their uh, numbers post game on Natural Stat Trek right now. At five on five, it was pretty damn close for. Um, you know, shot attempts for, of course, for and against, shots for, scoring chances for. It was pretty neck and neck. Obviously, Florida had the edge at five on five, but where it mattered most was the power play. I mean, three goals on the power play for Tampa Bay, two from uh, Kucherov, one from Braden Point, and Braden Point with the game winner with a, just over a minute left in that game. And if that didn't spell craziness or like a putting a cherry on top on that game because it had everything a last minute like game winner that just sealed the deal that was that was like probably my favorite series or favorite game to watch throughout the first two days and like you it's it, like you it's going to come down to the depth tampa bay has it they're built for it for a reason and like you said the patrick kane loophole whether that gets addressed or not it's going to be exploited no matter what Tampa Bay did it. Again, Toronto did it. Um, is it right? I don't know. Maybe not. But hey, it's in the rule book. It's there. Teams can use it whenever they want. But their depth, uh, especially on their third line, like Blake Coleman, Barkley Goudreau, Andre Palat, they got depth players that could step up when they needed to, when they need to. And today was a good example of that with Blake Coleman getting the first goal. Um I think I think it's going to come down to the wire in this one. I think Florida gets it or they fight back, but Tampa Bay is going to get the edge, and I say Tampa in seven. Yeah, so another one that goes the distance. Definitely, as we mentioned, we saw how this uh, this series kind of broke down in, in the uh, the regular season. Uh, it's going to be a physical series. I don't think there's any question about that. But it's definitely going to be another one worth watching um, mm-hmm. when it comes to the NHL playoffs. That said, before we get to the, our North Division, I want to jump to the West Division and talk about the President's Trophy, Colorado Avalanche, and the St. Louis Blues, two years removed from their Stanley Cup win. 
What do you see in this series? I see a sweep for the Colorado Avalanche. I'm I'm just not sold on the St. Louis Blues. And Brian O'Reilly said that, oh, we're going to come in and we're going to win. I mean, great mentality coming from the captain, but I, I, I just can't see it. I mean, this is a this is a team where Nathan McKinnon is back. Um, Miko Rantanen took over the reins when he was injured throughout the season. Kale McCarr is back. Um, Philip Grubauer is back. So you know what? They got a healthy roster at this point. All their best players are healthy. Andre Burakovsky had again had a really solid season with 44 points. I think uh, he, if we're looking at underrated players on a roster, I think he was very underrated for them. Um, Samuel Gerrard, 32 points. Nazem Kadri, 32 points. So they got the depth to go to distance. They're built to try and win it this year. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I, I know for a fact that this is probably the only time I'm going to say sweep. So you and I talked about um, my 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 keeper fantasy league prior to the show and mm-hmm. uh, how they are my my team's built for the future. The miners is just unbelievable. The Colorado Avalanche and Joe Sackick have built an absolute dynasty. Yeah. Um. This this team's going nowhere. Um. It, it, it's it's they are unquestionably possibly the best team in the NHL right now in terms of what they have on paper. That said, we have seen upsets before. And yeah. don't think I'm going down that road. I'm not saying the St. Louis <laughs> Blues are going to upset the the Colorado Avalanche. It has happened. Look, it has happened. Mm-hmm. But that said, I mean, shout out to the Columbus Blue Jackets for their, their uh, 4-0 sweep of the Tampa Bay Lightning a couple years back. But yeah. the Avs are going in 8-2 and two over their last 10. They're, they're on a five-game win streak. This is a team that absolutely dominated the West Division. And I say that, you know, they, they scored 197 goals over that span. Okay. Um, you mentioned the depth. Obviously, their blue line is just loaded. Kale McCarr. Um, you know, you had guys step in this season like Bowen Byram. You had guys Devin step Taves. in. Oh, sorry? Devin Taves. Devin Taves. Um, you had, you, had uh, you know, even guys like Connor Timmons come in um, and, and just – or Samuel Gerrard, um, and just add, uh, you know, some extra depth to that blue line. Uh, Grubauer. I mean, this is a guy that I always say Washington missed on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had to move him, obviously, with Ilya Samsonov coming up. But Grubauer is a guy that should and is now arguably one of the best starters in the game. I think... You're on to something when you say Colorado is going to clean this this series up. I do. I'm going to give the St. Louis Blues one game. Yeah. I think Colorado wins in five, but I think when they win, they're going to do it in a dominant fashion. I think St. Louis will slip one out just because of a little bit of fatigue on the Colorado side in terms of what they've had to go through, what every team's had to go through 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 this grueling season. The Blues are 6-1-3 and three in their last 10. They've won three in a row going into the playoffs. I do think the Blues will scratch one out. I just don't have enough faith in Bennington to get it done, to steal games for this Blues Blues team. I, I think the Blues are good. They're not this good. Yeah. Colorado in five. It's funny that you mentioned Bennington because I rode him on the bench or benched him multiple times um, in fantasy hockey. 
because I had no faith in him. I had to pick up Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell was my starter from there on out. So I totally agree with you with Bennington on, on that mark. And um, yeah, I, I, I just don't see it with Bennington. He's just too inconsistent right now. And the fact that there were only two teams with plus 60 goal differential, and they were both in the West Division, and they're both ranked one and two. Golden Knights had 67, Colorado had 64. So that speaks volumes to that. They could get it done at both ends of the ice offensively, and they could shut it down perfectly. So, um, yeah, there's that going for them. Uh, that's And again, I think that's the other reason why I think Colorado is going to sweep because they could their defensive depth. And we mentioned all their players. And I, I, it's just going to be really hard for St. Louis to try and get a win. It can happen. I, I just think Colorado's going to bring that extra gear to this series. Yeah, I mean, don't look. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I'm, I'm not taking shots at Bennington. I just think to see what he kind of went through this year. Like, this is a guy who's had to bet on himself his entire career. Mm-hmm. Finally, got the win in the Stanley Cup. Um, but I think this year his little WWE action where he was going around the, the ice trying to fight every guy on the team um, at one point this <laughs> season, like there's just too much going on in that head right now. And, and at the end of the day, being a goaltender, I mean, you talk about how, how crazy some of these guys are in terms of their superstitions and, and their pregame, you know, shenanigans, like goalies are a different breed. And, and for Bennington, you know, I think I think he's too much in his own head right now that I, I, I think it's going to cost the Blues. And that's why, you know, I think he gets one. But aside from that, I think the Colorado Avalanche clean up. That said, you mentioned the Golden Knights. And this is probably the hardest division to really pick a winner when it comes to the the overall division. Because yeah. eventually Colorado and Vegas are going to have to cross paths. But before they do, the Golden Knights have to get through the Wild. And we are recording after the Wild were absolutely dominated in terms of shots uh, in Game 1, but squeaked out a one nothing overtime win when um, Erickson Eck scored the overtime winner for the, for the Minnesota Wild. Cam Talbot got the win. I mean, great story in in Marc Andre Fleury being the first goaltender ever to appear in 15 consecutive playoff seasons. But Minnesota's up one nothing in the series. We know the series is going to go at least five games. What are we looking for from the Golden Knights to bounce back in Game Two? Um, I know if there's any team that could bounce back. It's the Golden Knights. And the fact that they were dominant from puck drop to the very, well, uh, until that Erickson at goal, um, it shows that they, that they're, I still, I, they're still a dominant team no matter what. I mean, you look at the goal and how it went in. It, it was deflected off, I believe it was Alec Martinez, and it went, and it just slid by Marc-Andre Florian in. So, it was also based off a bad turnover from Alex Petrangelo, but we know what Alex Petrangelo can do in the playoffs, cap- captaining the Blues to that Stanley Cup. You know that he's going to put this game behind him, and he's going to move forward. I, you can rest assured that with Mark Stone, Pacioretty, and every other Golden Knight on this team. Um, they've 
dealt with some ups and downs before. This isn't to say that, you know, it's one and done. It's far from that. I think they bounce back. And it, it, it's so hard to just write them off just based on one game. It, this had Vegas win written all over it. And Cam Talbot was phenomenal. No, there's no other way to look at it. Um, will it. Will it happen again? Possibly. But if there's an upset in the making, it can be the Minnesota Wild. Because there were times where they played their asses off against the Golden Knights. And I believe they came out with a couple of wins, too. Um, forget me. Um, I don't know the actual series breakdowns, but there were, they did get a couple wins against the golden Knights and they were again, a, a juggernaut throughout the whole entire year. I have Vegas in five again, kind of like the Pittsburgh Islander series. This might be one where we can not necessarily see an upset with the Islanders over Pittsburgh, but I think this could be an upset in the making. If you know, Minnesota wins another game or two. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I do think I, if there's any team that's going to come from it, I mean, we've seen what Flurry can do in the playoffs. We've also seen Flurry in his Pittsburgh days against Philadelphia and give up some some big goals. But I mean, both goaltenders were dominant. Uh, it was it was kind of a, a wacky goal going off Martinez that ended the game. Um, obviously frustrating for the Golden Knights. But that said. I think this is a team that bounces back. I'm going to give Minnesota one more game. I'm going to say that uh, Vegas takes it in six. Um, but, I I mean, again, this division is going to be so tough because Colorado and, and Vegas, assuming that we're right and they go through to the next round, it's going to be incredibly tough to watch. Yeah. Um, because those two teams, I mean, are arguably two of the best right now in the game and uh, you know obviously I have to go head to head in the second round so but I I do have Vegas in six I think Minnesota squeaked this one out I don't I don't think that Vegas really gives them that opportunity again they might get one more but aside from that um, I think Flower takes them through to the second round definitely with that said let's go north of the border and don't worry, folks. Eventually, the playoffs will hit the North Division. <laughs> that said... Get your popcorn um, ready. Yeah, get your popcorn ready. Let's go out west first. And I want to talk about the Oilers. I want to talk about the Winnipeg Jets. This series might be closer than some people give it credit for. Um, obviously, the Jets had some absolute stinkers against the the Oilers this season I mean who didn't with McDavid having the 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 season that he had worth noting there's a tweet out there and I gotta see if I can find it but McDavid was involved in and I think I mentioned this when we were talking about the the rock or sorry the uh, the heart trophy um and and how Matthews you know wasn't involved in as much of his team's overall offensive production. It came. So Daniel Nugent Bowman uh, from DNB sports. Sorry, that's his, uh, that's his Twitter handle. Uh, He's with the athletic. He's the Oilers reporter for the athletic. He tweeted out, it came down to the tiniest of margins, but Connor McDavid has established a new NHL record. McDavid recorded 105 points in 183 Edmonton Oilers goals. That 
is 53.38% of the Oilers' overall goals. The previous record was held by Mario Lemieux during the 1988-89 season, where Lemieux had a point on 57.35 of Pittsburgh's goals. So it came down to 0.03%. Now, McDavid is going to be the center of of the Oilers' offense. We know that. We know what he means to that team. We know that Dreisaitl, you know, for whatever reason, plays second fiddle to McDavid on that squad. Does Edmonton have the depth to get not only get past the offensive depth of the Winnipeg Jets, but the goaltending that they have in Connor Hellebuck? I mean, I mean, impressive number for McDavid, no matter what. But let's face it, they only have two players on their roster. Um. Obviously, McDavid and Dreisaitl. You look at the amount of points on their roster. So you, you have McDavid at 105, Dreisaitl at 84. Your next forward was Ryan Nugent Hopkins with 35. That is a sizable margin between Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins. And then after that, he's 10 points up on Jesse Puglia-Yarvi. They do not have the depth compared to what the Winnipeg Jets have. You look at their roster, you obviously Shifley, Connor, Ehlers, Wheeler, but you look at and the line of like Andrew Kopp, Adam Lowry, and Trevor Lewis, Matthew Perrault, they have depth players that could chip in and be a major factor. Edmonton, aside from those two guys, they have nobody. And the fact that Nugent Hawkins has 35 points up on the next forward, and then you have that gap between Dreisaitl and Nugent Hawkins, they're in a league of their own. It's two guys carrying a team, and their shoulders are probably killing them at this point right now. So it's crazy to say that, I, I mean, Edmonton, I still think, will beat Winnipeg, but it's going to be on the shoulders of both Dreisaitl and McDavid. That's it. Obviously, you the scoring depth from the Winnipeg Jets come in. Obviously, Connor Hellebuck is the reigning Vesna goalie, uh, reigning Vesna winner. Defensively, I give the edge over to maybe Winnipeg because they can shut down better. But then again, Edmonton's above them in that regard, so they've won games more and they shut and they shut down better. So it's going to come down to the forwards, but I I I don't know I. Obviously, Winnipeg has the better depth, but I'm picking Edmonton because of those two guys. They're just too dominant right now. I I have Edmonton in six. So I'm going to agree with you in the fact that I do. So I give the edge in goaltending to Winnipeg because right now, Connor Hellebuck, obviously the reigning Vesna trophy winner, uh, Mike Smith, you know, hit and miss. Right now he's having a hot season, but that could crumble at any moment. We've seen it happen with his, him over his career. Yeah. Miko Koskinen, obviously not a guy that, you know, you can really rely on heavily in terms of getting getting it done, uh, especially at playoff time. Defensively, I'm going to give the edge to Edmonton just because I, I think Winnipeg, yeah. 
when they lost guys like Jacob Truba, they lost a guy like Dustin Bufflin, it really hurt that team overall in terms of the blue line. They have a young squad. That said, a guy like Neil Pionk, um, you know, Morrissey, you know, these guys do have some experience. I do give a slight edge to Edmonton in that regard. But when it comes to the four depth, it's got to go back to Winnipeg. And for me, I think of, of guys like, yeah, Line A might be gone, but you still have Connor. You still have Shifley. You still have Nick Ehlers. You have a guy like Dubois who can, we've seen him turn it up when he played for Columbus against Toronto in the play-in series. Like, this is a guy who's who can really, I mean, he, he'll turn it on for, for an entire 60 minutes and just be an absolute beast out there. So you mentioned it, aside from McDavid, and Dreisaitl. This this Edmonton Oilers team is frighteningly, frighteningly thin up front. Mm-hmm. What they have outside of that one-two duo is, yeah, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who, you know, great, 30-something points. Like, what he did this year, I mean, it's still a solid season, but it's not... It's not going to get it done when it comes to the playoffs. And I think the physicality, I give the edge to to Winnipeg. Absolutely, yeah. And that's what I think is going to break this Oilers team down. And we saw that Toronto put, you know, Toronto shut down Drysaddle and McDavid two straight games. They 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 shut them down, and and it was an entirely different Oilers team than what we were used to. Yeah. If Winnipeg can do that, if Winnipeg can find a way to shut down those guys for a couple games, I think we see a different series. I'm going to go on a limb here and say Winnipeg in seven. Interesting. And I, honestly, I don't blame you because th- that could be, th- again, this could be another really tight series going in. And I just did the math on my calculator because I can't do anything off the top of my head because I suck at math. 49 points separated Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins as the forwards. Obviously, you have Tyson Berry and Darnell Nurse in between, but 49 points between the two. Almost 50 points. Yeah, that's that's really concerning. If Edmonton does win, it's going to be on those two guys for sure. And like you said, if, they, if Winnipeg can't shut them down, I, I remember seeing the stats and the numbers. I think they were, Edmonton was 7-2, but the goals against or the save percentage for Connor Hallibuck was, I think, at like 890 or it was uh, just under 900. Obviously, you know, he's had his ups and downs this year as well, much like everybody else. But if he gets back to form and he shuts them down along with, you know, the players in front of him, you have to give the edge to Winnipeg. I, I, I do think that, you know, it's going to be tough to contain them. But if they do, then... Checkmate to them. They they played it perfectly. Yeah, I know absolutely. And and before we get into this final series, obviously it's our Leaf series. We're going to talk about that in a second. I want to get to a couple other quick notes that I forgot to mention before getting into the predictions. But before we do that, your other aside from the Leaf series, what series are you keeping a close eye on? Well, actually, after tonight, there's going to be two. Washington and Boston and Tampa Bay and Florida. Those two series, man, I'm I'm telling you, I, 
I I knew the intensity was going to be high, given what transpired uh, the past couple games between the two or the last game where things got really out of hand between Tampa Bay and Florida. But man, I did not see this coming at all. This is this is I like I'm really entertained by what I saw. That was textbook playoff hockey. Getting in everybody's faces, the physical play, obviously some concerns with some hits, but man, they have no love for each other right now. And that's what playoff hockey is all about with both of these series. Yeah, I I mean, I'm I'm with you on both of those. And I'm going to keep an eye on both of those, obviously. The the, the mm-hmm. series that I'm really curious about, though, is the Pittsburgh-New York, New York series. Mm-hmm. Especially after game one, the way that... New York was able to come away with that win. I mean, obviously Malkin wasn't in the lineup and he's going to be a big piece, but I am extremely interested to see what Barry Trotz, Lou Lamorello and the New York Islanders can do against this Pittsburgh squad. I think it's going to be a physical series. I think it's going to come down to who can get past the defensive play or, or I should say, in other words, it's going to be a perfect example of what's going to be better offense or defense and you know the saying defense wins championships championships. yeah can the new york islanders be the definition of that saying and that's that's what's going to get me so i think those that the two series that you mentioned are going to be incredible series i think they're going to be physical to to no end but i think the new york islanders series against the, the the pittsburgh penguins is going to be one to watch and that everybody should tune into as much hockey as they can because this is a hockey podcast and we love talking all things hockey. So enjoy the first round, guys. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be incredible to watch. Um, again, we will get to the Leafs series in just one moment. Before we do, I figured out why the NHL wanted to have Vancouver play Calgary tonight, Sunday night. Oh, Horvat's 500th NHL game. Um, Gadjevich, Jonah Gadjevich made his NHL debut. Two big moments for these players. Um, That must that must be why the North Division is continuing with these meaningless hockey games. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, like I said, meaningful for those two guys, obviously. Yeah. Um, Outside of that. Huge news, and I can't believe I forgot to mention this ahead of it. The Seattle Kraken signed their first player, um, Luke Henman. So Luke Henman, uh, he actually was a draft pick of the Carolina Hurricanes, I believe, um, at one point. Uh, he played for the Blainville uh, Bobriand Armada in the QMJHL. He was originally drafted in the fourth round, 96th overall, by the Carolina Hurricanes in 2018. At the time, Ron Francis was a part of that organization. Now, Ron Francis, a part of the Seattle Kraken, has signed the the Dartmouth, Nova Scotia native, 21 years old, uh, to a contract, an entry-level contract. Obviously, he's the captain of of the Armada in the QMJHL and had 43 points in 32 games this season. So obviously, Francis Francis likes what he saw 
Um, but definitely the Kraken wasting no time getting involved in signing some players and, and filling out that roster. So congratulations to Henman for getting an opportunity here with the new squad. You and I both gave a shout-out to Haley Wickenheiser, who completed her PhD. Um, just great news. I mean, gold medalist and now a doctor. Like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. Honestly. Um, I, I, I'm not smart enough to go to that medical school, become a doctor and everything like that. And but do it all in the midst of COVID. Like, for her yeah. to do that at this time, like, just – just incredible yeah i mean yeah huge congrats to her i mean just the dedication that she has i mean we've seen it on the ice she's doing it out in the real world right now with you know her philanthropy at the beginning of the pandemic right now and to power through and get her uh, doctorate i mean that's just crazy it's unbelievable a huge congratulations to her nothing but respect she's an absolute role model and icon right now and if she isn't in your eyes, then something is wrong with you. Yeah, and and you know what? If I ever have a uh, a daughter, I hope um, you know she can look up to people like Haley Wickenheiser because what she's been able to do with with her life and 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 you know, like I said, go from a, a gold medal um, hockey player who who wasn't afraid to to break down the glass ceiling that that uh, was put in front of her, and to get to the point where she is now, I mean, just absolutely incredible. But yeah um huge congratulations to her from the sticks in the six podcast absolutely um i wanted to also quickly make note of a huge moment for a young damian clara 2005 born goaltender has been named to italy's men's double ihf world championship roster now listen to this so born in 2005 this kid is 16 years old, and he was named to the double IHF World Championship roster for Italy. Um, he is eligible for the 2023 draft, which obviously we've talked about with Bedard and Mishkov. Now, the belief is that two other Italian goaltenders uh, did come down with COVID. That's why he is he is being named to the team. That said, still incredibly impressive for a young guy at 16 years old to be named to to the world uh, championship roster, regardless of the country, regardless of of you know the circumstances for him to be there. What an experience for this kid! Very big. I mean, there's yeah, no no other way to describe it. I mean, that's absolutely huge, and the fact that he's his draft year is two years away. That's a lot, not necessarily a lot of pressure, but that's a, something that he's going to savor for like a really long time, no matter what the outcome is at that tournament. Yeah, huge compliment for him. And like I said, doesn't matter this the country, doesn't matter the circumstances, doesn't matter what your record is at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Huge compliment for you. Obviously, the eyes are going to be on you. I think I was having my first beer when I was 16 years old, let alone uh, you know <laughs> getting a chance to play at the World Championships. But you know, great, uh, great opportunity for Damian Clara. The last thing I want to mention before we get to Maple Leafs and Marley's talk is Jack Eichel. Ooh. I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the Buffalo Sabres. Very briefly, we won't. We won't. I promise you, Buffalo, we will not tear your team down. 
We'll probably save that for another episode when we get more news in regards to it. Yes, but there is an obvious disagreement between Jack Eichel, Kevin Adams, and the Buffalo Sabres in terms of how Eichel is dealing with his injury, how he wanted to deal with his injury, and where the team is going from here. Speculation is that uh, Eichel wanted to have surgery. Um, Adams and the Buffalo Sabres kind of put the kibosh on that based on, you know, players not returning to 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 play, you know, playing the game following this type of surgery. Um, you know, Eichel kind of talked about his body and how it's, you know, it, it should be his decision, but he is owned by the Buffalo Sabres. It, it, I mean, this whole situation is just a complete debacle. You and I talked, you know, eons and eons ago when we first started this podcast. So, I mean, we've ripped on the Buffalo Sabres a number of times in their handling of Jack Eichel in how they are not really utilizing him to, to you know, the extent that they should. Is this the end of Jack Eichel in Buffalo? If obviously it's a difficult decision, you know, yeah, it like you said, it's Jack Eichel's body. If he wants to go through with the surgery, it's ultimately his decision. But like you said, the Sabres own his rights. Difficult in the sense that, you know what, if he feels comfortable going through with it, why not? It, it If it's going to make him feel better and if he feels confident that it's going to help him, why not? The fact that there's this disconnect and mishandling of this injury and him right now is just absolutely ridiculous at this point i mean it seems like they don't have his best interests at hand if if a player came to me and said listen i gotta have this surgery what do you think obviously you want to get all the information you want to get like you know referrals from doctors and stuff like that but at the same time if he feels confident in doing it wouldn't you want to have your players back and support his decision no matter what we hear about GMs and players and everybody else having the support of each other's back. Why aren't you do why aren't you why aren't you doing it for your star player at this point? That's my thing. Yeah, I mean this is coming from a TSN article here. Um Kevin Adams did mention that the plan for the Buffalo Sabres is that they intend to move ahead with players who want to be here. Uh, that for now includes Jack Eichel. Um, they they mentioned that Eichel at this point in time has not requested a trade, and that there is a somewhat disconnect between the two parties. It is he, getting he, to that point. Yes, it is getting to that point. He did say that we all want the same thing when it comes to Jack Eichel's health. We want Eichel to be healthy and playing on top of his game. He's the captain of our captain of our team. He's a great hockey player. I enjoy Jack. Where we go from here, nothing's going to change for me personally. Um, it, from there, Sam Reinhart kind of, you know, he was non-committed to when it when he came it came to entering the off season and and you know his eligibility as a restricted free agent. Rasmus Ristolainen obviously mentioned that he's billing, he's he's open to being traded. This whole situation is just slowly falling apart, and you got to feel for a guy like Don Granado who stepped into this as an interim yeah. coach. 
obviously a guy like Kevin Adams, who's who's in his first go around as an NHL GM. But you know, you lose guys like Ristolainen, you lose guys like Reinhardt, and all of a sudden Eichel's gone. This team is all of a sudden back in into rebuild mode, and I don't know. I I, I really don't see Eichel sticking it out for much longer in Buffalo, especially with this this latest disagreement here. And this rebuild is going to take longer than like a rebuild in, let's say, that in Detroit with the Red Wings right now. Um, probably with the Seattle Kraken, who's probably going to do a damn good job with their expansion draft and their drafts. Um, yeah, and it's a shame because the Sabres actually started to turn a page when Granado came in. And I'm, yeah, it's. The fact that you have two uh, two more of your star players right now saying that they're upset with what's going on, it's time to take a look in the mirror, like from the ownership down, and say, like, listen, we're screwed. We got to figure this out to try and turn the tides because it's not working out, and we want to make sure that we keep our players happy, our fan base happy, and nothing is going right at this point. It's it's actually very concerning for everyone in that Sabres organization. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, 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 like I mentioned, I'd be remiss if we didn't mention Jack Eichel. I think we bashed on on Buffalo's the the Buffalo Sabers for quite some time, and and I think it's just coming to a point where now you know it's just a matter of time. It's 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 a ticking bomb in terms of Eichel mm-hmm. and and leaving in leaving Buffalo and where he ends up. I mean, that's that's a whole nother discussion for a whole nother day. Yeah. With that, I do want to jump to Toronto hockey. First, w- with the Marlies, obviously they signed Villeneuve to a, a an amateur tryout. Uh, Villeneuve was taken in the fourth round by the Leafs last season. Um, a great opportunity for that kid. Um, obviously, Pavel, or as well, Pavel Gogolev has scored three straight game-winning goals. So we've mentioned it before, the pipeline is bright for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And the Marlies, obviously not having the season they wanted, but there is a lot of opportunity coming for these kids. And, uh, you know, exciting times ahead for the uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Marlies franchises. Yeah, uh, I've been a big fan of William Villeneuve. Um, he slow start to the season, but slowly started to pick himself up and get back to his rhythm, being that, you know, playmaking defenseman. Um, but I want to touch up on Gogolev just for a second. I mean, our focus has been on Robertson, Lilligren, uh, Mikko Kokkinen, who's been, you know, pretty great so far right now, who's making a name for himself, but passed over three times in the NHL draft. And in a year where he had 96 points last year with the Guelph Storm, I thought he would have been drafted. Luckily, they signed him to an AHL deal because he's playing really well. And I'm not expecting anything big from him to be, you know, a major player for the Maple Leafs because of the fact that he is a point-per-game player and three straight game-winning goals. But I think the way that he plays with his intensity, his shot, his ability to play on both sides of the puck, he could be a reliable third or fourth liner. And I think they may have struck gold with the signing that he could be something of an asset to them in the future. Yeah, I mean, you see a lot of these kids that uh, get passed over, and sometimes all they need is a little bit of an opportunity, a change in their development uh, program, and 
And uh, obviously, you know, we've seen what he's been able to do. So, I mean, I, th- I think you're spot on. I think giving him the opportunity, they're finding a way to, to really bring out the best in his game. And because of that, I mean, I, I think he's going to further further his, uh, his playing career, especially with the Toronto Marlies. That said, um, I think, you know, you, you guys have been waiting long enough. Let's get to the last playoff series, the Toronto Maple Leafs, our Toronto Maple Leafs against Les Habitants. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, this is going to be insane. This is going to be insane. For the first time since 1978-79, the Toronto Maple Leafs will meet the Montreal Canadiens in the first round of the NHL playoffs. This is what we wanted. This is what we wanted. This is what we wanted. Now, I'm hesitant because it looks as though Brendan Gallagher and Carey Price will get some AHL action in prior to game one of the playoff series. Obviously, Gallagher with an injured finger. um, Price dealing with concussion symptoms over the last little while, the both of them could be making their way back into the Montreal lineup for game one. This changes the outlook for the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, it, it, it really does. And I, on our latest episode of Maple Leafs Lounge, we had Melissa Boyd and Craig Wilson come on to discuss keys to the series, players to watch, and predictions. And... Obviously, they mentioned Brandon Gallagher coming back and Carey Price, and those are going to be two main key factors for them going forward because they're important uh, pieces to that team. But I'm, I don't want to jump the gun. You never want to underestimate your opponent. I know that this website, Money Puck, they had Maple Leafs winning at seventy five percent to Montreal's twenty five. We know how we see stuff like that, and then you know. The exact opposite happens and we're left with, you know, absolute misery and wanting to curl up into a ball and just like, you know, forget everything that happened. Right, man. You've really thought about uh, the after effects. eh? (laughs) I'm kind of like Alex Hobson right now. We (laughs) prepare for the worst. Uh, Yeah, that's what we should do. Right. But I mean, this is a series that Toronto should win, not because of the fact that, oh, you know, Toronto's first and Montreal's fourth. No. It should win. They should win because they exceed in every aspect, offensively, defensively, and given how Carey Price has played this season, he's had his moments up and down. Toronto, I'm not going to give Toronto the edge in goaltending because we know what Carey Price could do in the playoffs, but Jack Campbell's had a phenomenal season. And obviously, Price is going to be in that. I looked back, and the Leafs were 3-1 and one in four games when Price started. They won 5-4 in OT in the season opener, a 4-2 win, and a 5-3 win. They've had a good advantage over Carey Price, and he struggled before he went down with his injury. Um, now, I'm not saying don't look too much into that, but it's something where, you know, they've had... They've had their opportunities against Carey Price, and they capitalized them. So with the Maple Leafs depth, 
with the defense, the fact that, yeah, Gallagher's coming back, but they're not even playing Jesperi uh, Kakaniemi or Cole Caulfield. They're going with the veterans over guys that can have, you know, more of a significant impact, maybe not offensively, but just overall play. Obviously, Cole Caulfield would have that advantage over uh, Kakaniemi, but they're sitting them. And I think they could prove to be very valuable pieces for them in a series like this where, you know, more goals leads to a win, right? So it's going to be interesting to say the least, but I do think Toronto Toronto should win. And I have the least in six. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of on board with you in terms of like, it's pretty shocking that you're going to sit a guy like Kotkaniemi a guy like Caulfield who, I mean, Caulfield came in and, and proved his worth, I I think, in in uh, the few games that he did get in and play for Montreal late in the season. Uh, I understand what they're doing in, in playing guys like Eric Stahl and, and, and you know, Corey Perry. You know, they, they stir it up. The vets. Um, they're the vets. Obviously, you want to give them an opportunity to play in the, the you know, the Stanley Cup playoffs. But – you know, it comes down to wanting to win the game. And, and for me, a guy like Cole Caulfield especially has has jumped right in and shown exactly why you drafted him where you did. I don't I don't I don't get the sitting Caulfield. I don't I I really don't. And and Kotkaniemi, he you know, he's had his ups and downs, but he's a guy that still goes out there and, and, and tries to give it his all as much as possible. Obviously, you know, the return of Gallagher kind of plays into that a little bit, but yeah, I mean, that to me is a shocking move. Um, I did want to mention, though, Gallagher, uh, over his career, 35 games against the Toronto Maple Leafs, he has 10 goals and 19 points. This is a guy who thrives off that that rivalry that exists between the Maple Leafs and, and, and Montreal. And, you know... I'm not I'm not one for a whiny player and and I think Gallagher does whine a little bit too much for my liking but this is a guy who's been a force against the Maple Leafs over his career him returning does change the tides a little bit for me um I I I don't think it's going to it's going to ultimately change the outcome of the series um, also worth noting that Carey Price over his career against the Maple Leafs, he's played 49 games against Toronto in which he holds a 27, 17 and five record, nine, 14 save percentage, a two sixty nine goals against and four shutouts. So again, another guy who's seen a lot of success against, against the Maple Leafs that said, obviously, you know, you mentioned his season's been a little bit off um you know he's dealing with the concussion symptoms obviously he's he's feeling better with him returning but you know you you always worry a little bit about you know the repercussions of him coming back i do think toronto on paper is the better team i do think toronto will ultimately come out of this series i think they go i i think i'm with you i think toronto in six um, I'm going to give a little bit of credit to Montreal where credit's due. Um, this is a team that goes out there and fights hard. Um, but yeah, Toronto in six, I think the Maple Leafs finally get past that first round. It'll be interesting to see where it goes from there, but, um, it, I, I think it's going to be a great series. I'm looking forward to it. Obviously any, any Toronto or Montreal fan is looking forward to this series. It's the first time since 1979. Let's get it going. Um, Savor it. 
yeah, savor every <laughs> moment of it because this could be this could be one for the ages. It could be one that uh, we don't see for quite some time after this, based on how the NHL could could uh, set up their divisions if we get back to a little bit of normalcy after all of this. It's going to be a great series, regardless of how you look at it. Um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. It, it it comes down to Toronto wanting it a little bit more than anybody else, and I think I think now you're starting to see some of these players on the Leafs really understand that you're not going to get that many opportunities over your career to to really go after a cup, and this is one for them. They've they've gone out, they've gotten a guy like Nick Foligno. They have guys like Simmons. You have Joe Thornton in the room who's who's really chasing that cup. The reason he came to Toronto was to be there to win that cup. Yeah. Um, and this is this is what it's all about for him. So I'm excited. I can't wait to to see it happen. And uh, not not the cup, but a, a, a series win. And, and I think Toronto gets it done in the first round. I want to pose a question to you. The Maple Leafs will win against the Canadians if, and fill in the blank. Not a question, but if they can get secondary scoring from their second and third line. So, mm. uh, for me, I think it's it's big. They've they've relied so heavily on their top line, Matthews and Marner, and whoever else they play with throughout the season. But you're gonna get a guy in Riley Nash who's gonna really add so much to your bottom six you're gonna get a lot i mean william nylander's had it had a great year john Tavares has had a solid year i think this team needs to see that secondary and tertiary scoring for them to really really get past that first round at the end of the day the defensive game has improved morgan riley He's not your t- number one guy anymore. That's that goes to TJ Brody. Yeah, he's your defensive-minded guy. That's gonna be that's gonna be big for him to kind of continue that. Um, that said, I think it's gonna come down to to you know your secondary scoring and what you can do um, with those second and third lines. Yeah, it, it's it's funny that you brought that that up because I believe it was Chris uh, Feria, our other Maple Leafs writer, who said that is Morgan Riley now our third best defenseman. You saw the way that Jake Muzzin played with a purpose down this stretch. You saw what TJ Brody can do. You see what Rasmus Sandin can do. I I honestly think that I I'm gonna go on a limb here and say that obviously the power play is you know an up and down situation. And I'm not going to say that they're going to win if the power play is clicking, but it needs to click in order for them to be successful. We've talked numerous times about how disastrous this power play was, how it was in the second half. They made changes to personnel, Zach Hyman with enough for presence, Thornton in a bumper spot and Sandine on the point. That to me is going to be critical because Morgan Riley has lost all confidence on the power play. He, he, he's very slow with his movement to try and rush up. He drop passes it every single time. He fakes a shot, tries to pass it when he's passing when he should shoot, and he's shooting when he should be passing. That poise and confidence is gone, and Rasa Sandin does it so much better. And 
I, 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 I hate to say this because I want the Morgan Riley that had a 70-point season a few seasons back. But he has regressed, and his decision-making is playing a major impact on this decision. And you watch the game against the Jets. We heard Ray Ferraro basically tell Morgan Riley on broadcast to shoot the puck, and he faked it, and it ended up in a squandered opportunity. You look at what Jake Muzzin did against Ottawa. The second power play unit played better, and he rips it, and it's and the puck is in the net. He scores. You need a confident shooter. Riley, he thinks he's going to shoot. He sees nothing, and he panics. He's got to get it off quicker. His passes have got to be quicker. Everything's got to be quick. And Rasa Sandin is doing all that, and he deserves that spot. So I think if you need to win this series, or at least have an advantage over Montreal, your power play's got to quick, and it starts at the back end. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think uh, I think Riley has really dropped off this year. For me, it's been a couple years where, you know, his point shots have either found shin pads or or been deflected off to the yeah. side. Like, it, it's been a struggle for him. Even during his 70-point season, like, there were a lot of opportunities there where, you know, you were seeing shots fired in, into the defenseman, and, and you know it's a cause for concern. You want to you want a guy who's going to take the time to really, you know, know where he's putting the puck, and even times where he's trying to throw it into the corner, you know, deflected, created opportunities the other way. It just there there's something there that needs to change, and I don't think it's about him. I think I think they need to really work with him. I don't. I mm-hmm. don't think he's. I don't think he's far gone. I think he's. He's still a solid defenseman. He just has to find that kind of road back to to where he was, um, because he is. He is a player that can really be a game changer if he's playing at the top of his game. And right now he's not. Yeah, you want to try and salvage what you have with him because you've seen what he can do in the past. I mean, look what happened in the bubble last year. Jake Muzzin went down, and Morgan Riley stepped up. Gets on the power play, and in that uh, overtime period, you know, he's laying the body on the line to keep that puck in, and then he gets it over to Matthews. We've seen him time and time again where Matthews is open for a one-timer, and he gives it to Marner on the other side, or he shoots the puck. That's not the decision that we saw last year or the year before. Well, like you said, it was kind of up and down at that point, but we want to get back to those positive things that made him successful. And until he gets that going, he he's not going to see the top power play unit anymore. That to me, and honestly, and Alex wrote about this as well. Maybe Rasa Sandin makes Morgan Raleigh expendable. Maybe not next year, or maybe you try to move out his contract because with him gone and Anderson gone, there's 10 million in cap space right now to try and make a trade, bring someone else in, or maybe sign a Dougie Hamilton, or what have you. It, it you have a different a number of different factors coming in right now. Yeah, but I think for me, even if you if you lose out on Riley, if you move Riley and you you let Anderson walk. You don't need another top end defenseman. You have TJ Brody. You have Jake Muzzin. You have the fillers. Mm-hmm. I Fair think enough. Riley is expendable at this point, and it's not. It's not a comment on on how he's played. More so as it's a comment on 
how the 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 defensemen that Toronto has brought in have played around him. Yeah. Definitely. And even if uh, Sandine takes the top spot, you have uh, Mikko Kalkinen coming up, who's a left-handed shot, and he's been playing really well. We saw him in the last two World Juniors, played very exceptional for Team Finland. So we have players coming up in the pipeline. I want to see Topi Niemela. Yes. I'm all over yes. the, the Niemela train. Yes. Yes. Imagine... Not at this point, but Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren and or Topi Niemela as your top pairing defenseman. That is going to be exciting as all hell. Yeah, it's frightening. It's frightening what Toronto's got in the pipeline. But do they top have defenders at the World Juniors? Yeah, no, unbelievable. Like, it, it really is. And, um, you know, this is a team that's really put it together in terms of drafting the right way and building from within. And, and for years, they didn't do that. Now I think they've got it right in, in how they're doing it. I think Dubas has done a, an incredible job building what they have in that pipeline. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this this team's frightening. This team's frightening. And when you have a guy like Matthews, who's a, who is now a Rocket Richard Trophy winner, um this is a team that could be scary for a long time coming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, phenomenal. I mean, we've talked about it the last two episodes about his goal scoring pace and how he's the most dangerous scorer in the league right now. The pace, again, the pace, the type of goals, the fact that he was an offensive force and screw the whole North division argument. He would have scored at the same pace if everything was normal. He had 47 last year, would have had 50 if it wasn't for COVID. To throw that to the side, it's just a joke. But the more that people keep complaining about it, the more it just makes me want to gloat even more that we have a player like him on our roster who's that special and that talented. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, with that, I want to kind of get into these last couple points here we have. Um and I think it's more about Toronto and, and the North Division in all, not getting nearly enough respect. Um, we mentioned earlier in the show that the NHL came out with goalie power rankings. And look, I get that Frederick Anderson had an injury-filled year. But you named 16 goaltenders in the goalie power rankings for the Stanley Cup playoffs. No mention of Jack Campbell. Yeah. Not not one bit. Now, with that said, I I I want to ask you because for me I, it's mere shock that there's not even any respect given to Campbell's name after what he did this year. The fact that Toronto is where they are without Frederick Anderson playing this season Campbell went 17 three and two over 22 games this year had a 215 goals against and a 921 save percentage with only two shutouts how in the hell when there's 16 teams in the playoffs does he not even get a nod in you know maybe the 15th or 16th spot instead you have Peter Morazic at 14 Alex Nedeljkovic at 15, and Tristan Jari at 16. Not one mention. Carey Price is even in at 11, and he didn't even 
he didn't even play most of the season. Where is the respect for a guy like Jack Campbell? I'm just going to say this. You saw what happened to Tristan Jari today in his first game. Um, you noticed that Peter Morasic played only 12 games this year. Jack Campbell's played him more. Granted that Peter Morasic was injured, can't control that. Maybe Morasic should be on there, fine. But I'm looking at more like Alex Nadelkovich, who's just a rookie himself. And Campbell has been in the league longer, granted it a backup role, and a rookie automatically overtakes him. Jack Campbell surpassed Carey Price's win streak, and he's won 11 straight games as the most wins by goaltender to start a season. And you still managed to put Carey Price 11th overall, where Jack Campbell had a better save percentage and a better goals against average. That's my TED Talk. Thank you. Sergei Bobrovsky had a mediocre season. He's sitting in 11th. Jordan, Jordan Bennington had an okay season. He's sitting in 9th. That's disappointing. Tuka Rask was injured for the majority of the second half of the season. He's sitting in 6th sixth, sixth spot. Now... All due respect to Rask because he is deserving of that. He is he has earned every little bit that he's played. Yeah. But how do you not mention a guy like Jack Campbell, who not only went 17-3-2 for a team that needed a goaltender like that to step up, but you're talking about a guy who played at some points in the season with an injury as well and still went 17-3 and 2 with those numbers. Yeah. That's the part that I think is just it it, it absolutely blows my mind and I think like this has got to be some kind of sick joke. I'm I want to say that they're probably okay. When you think of power rankings, you think of what's happening in the season. The fact that Tuka Rask, Jordan Biddington, I think you should probably keep Tuka Rask in that top 10 because he was providing stellar numbers before he had his own injuries to deal with. But Jordan Bennington should not be there. Carey Price should not be as high as they should be. I think this is more of a bias as to what they've done overall as their career, which I don't think that should be done. But then again, you have a rookie like Alex Nadelkovich come in and granted he had a great season jack campbell had a better one um where's the logic in that i i I don't get it i don't see it throw some like you said throw some respect on jack campbell's name for crying out loud like you're telling there's no way that he should be lower or not even on that list than some of the other goalies on there because i'm not going to say that jack campbell's probably top 10 but he should probably be, you know, maybe 11, 12. He should be at Carey Price's spot. Hell, if you want to throw him in the top 10, replace him with Bennington. Because you compare the goalies and what they did, Jack Campbell's miles ahead of both of them. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think I think Soupy's going to go out there and just, you know, give it one hell of a ride. Um, you know, obviously being named the the starter for game one, uh, it's a nod to what he, he did for the team. Um, you know, throughout the year to get them to where they are. 
But, uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely zero fucking respect from the NHL. Uh, whoever runs that, uh, runs that, um, you know, that, that page needs, needs to shake their head because, um, you know, take a look north of the border. I, I don't see, I see Connor Hellebuck up there. I see Mike Smith up there. I see Carey Price, who did, who barely played a fucking game this season, and yet we have no Jack Campbell. Um, you know, Jack you Campbell. Can, I was just about to say Jack Campbell only like helped his team to North Division title. Yeah, only the it. second one since 1967. Yeah, I I was just about to also add, insert the Michael Jordan, and I took that personally meme from the Last Dance. For Jack Campbell right now, because I think he's going to go out and possibly do a Michael Jordan at some point. You know what? You know what the best part about this whole thing is, though? If you were to interview Jack Campbell about the the 16 goalies on this list, he'd have something nice to say about each and every one of them, because that's the type of guy he is. So you want to rank this guy outside the top 16? Just on mentality alone, this guy's a fucking beauty compared to any of these guys. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, one of the other other things I wanted to get into was uh, there was a quote from a mystery NHLer um, that mentioned how there will not be... Basically, they said that no North division team will make it outside of the, uh, outside, outside of, of, you know, make, making it past the North, the North division. I, to sum it up, the North division sucks. Essentially. Canadian Not the first teams, time we heard it. Yeah. Basically they, they were saying that, you know, no, the North division teams are garbage. They're not going to make it past, you know, their, their divisional rounds. And uh, it, it was a quote from a, a mystery NHLer that said, guess what? I don't think any of the teams in the Canadian division are good. How the fuck can they win the Stanley Cup when they play no defense? I just don't think their forwards care enough about defense to win. I don't think they're actually good. So let me have the floor for just a moment. Go ahead. The Toronto Maple Leafs gave up the eighth, few, sorry, the seventh fewest goals this season. The Calgary Flames, who didn't even make the playoffs in the North Division, gave up the ninth fewest goals this season. The Winnipeg Jets, the eleventh fewest goals. The Edmonton Oilers, the thirteenth fewest goals, and the Montreal Canadiens, the eighteenth fewest goals. The only team to be outside of the top 20 in terms of fewest goals when it comes to the North Division is the lowly Ottawa Senators, who gave up the 28th fewest goals. So basically the fourth most goals against this season. Now, mm-hmm. that's a team that had obviously struggled in, when it came to their goaltending. Matt Murray, Marcus Hogberg. There was there was a, a carousel of goaltenders in Rebuilding the, mode as well. Rebuilding mode. So... Granted, I understand that. Now, this North Division narrative that is circulating around the NHL and this random mystery NHLer, quit hiding behind a fucking newspaper and show your face when you want to call out an entire division. Not just a team, but an entire division. Yes, 
there are divisions that were good this year. We can talk about, you know, obviously Vegas and Colorado being in the in the West Division, but they also got to play against Anaheim and San Jose, San Jose, who were all garbage. San Jose nearly gave up 200 goals this year. Garbage. Okay, Anaheim, they finished with 17 wins in 56 games. Garbage. Um, you want to go to the Central Division where they, they played against the Detroit Red Wings and Thomas Grice, who I'm sorry, Thomas Grice, but had an awful, awful record this year. The Columbus Blue Jackets, who just couldn't get it done under torts. Um, let's talk about the East Division and the Buffalo Sabres or the New Jersey Devils, for that matter. Are you fucking kidding me with this North <laughs> Division narrative? Are you kidding me? You're going to steal a Rocket Richard trophy from a guy like Austin Matthews, who scored on an absolutely torrid pace, scored 41 goals in the games that he played because he played in the North Division. Are you going to take away McDavid's heart trophy that he's going to win when he put up over 100 points in 56 games because he played in the North Division? Whatever player this was, it's some fucking grinding fourth liner who has no reason of being in the NHL. Some plug pigeon who deserves nothing but the anonymity that comes with this stupid ass quote. That's it. Welcome to my TED Talk. I'm out. (laughs) Wow. Um, I don't know how I can top that. Um, all I know is that everyone online was say, was joking about how that was probably Drew Doughty. And knowing how he trash-talked the Maple Leafs before, it probably wouldn't surprise me. Then again, I don't, I, we, we don't know who, but it probably does make sense that it probably could be Drew Doughty. But you mentioned the goals against. You look at at a, at a per-game pace or per-game rate, Toronto still ranked uh, – Eighth overall, 2.64. Next one after that, Winnipeg Jets, 2.71. Still in the top 10. Then after that is the Edmonton Oilers, 2.75, 12th overall. So you have the top three teams from the North Division in the top 15. So, again, logic. Don't know where that's coming from. Don't know how. But all right, go ahead. If you want to trash talk a team or three teams right now, go right ahead. If that makes you feel better, whatever, uh, that that's fine by me. But you also look at the amount of goals against at five on five. Toronto Maple Leafs ranked eighth with 95. Calgary Flames ranked 11th with 98. Winnipeg Jets 13th, 101. Montreal Canadiens, 103. So your second place, Edmonton Oilers, are outside the top 20 with 116, but you still have one, two, three, four of the seven Canadian teams within that top 15, five on five goals against. Are, are, are they still that bad? Yeah, I mean, this has been a narrative all season long and them talking about the shit North Division. For me, I I don't get it. I don't get it. You're talking about, 
Winnipeg has the the reigning Vesna Trophy winner, okay, and Connor Hellebuck. Um, Vancouver had a had a tandem of, um, you know, Braden Holpe, who could have very well done some crazy amount of damage in in his days in Washington, um, and, and then Thatcher Demko, who's who's a young guy on on an absolute tear in terms of what he's going to be able to do in this league. They dealt um, with a serious outbreak of COVID. Absolutely. Um, you know, Jacob Markstrom, who who had a had a coming out party last year and has really, you know, obviously the the Flames struggled this year, but he still played relatively well. Carey Price, Jake Allen in Montreal. Hell, even Matt Murray in 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 Ottawa when he was healthy, like you're not talking about shit goaltenders. Like, what do we Buffalo? You're talking about Linus Allmark. What has he done? You're talking about Tristan Jari in Pittsburgh. What has he done? Are you kidding me with this North Division narrative? I just I I I. I mean, I, I I honestly believe that people are just grasping at star, at straws right now to to discredit what Matthews has done, to discredit what Connor McDavid has done. I, I think it's it, it's a bullshit argument, and it's petty. I mean, it is. And for for this yeah. player to remain anonymous, it, it, I mean, it just kind of goes back to what Paul Hendricks said in our interview with him, uh, you know, five episodes ago when he said, you know, the people that hide behind a name. They can just piss off, yeah. And and at the end of the day, the games will speak for themselves. the The North Division will speak for itself once they do make it to the conference. Oh, I I guess we'll call them conference finals. Um, I I think we'll see that any team in the North Division that makes it out is comparable to any team at the NHL level. And that's because there is so much parity in the NHL. So for that to be a narrative, I think people need to stop. I mean, I had a conversation about it today with some guy who who clearly had no hockey knowledge, and he he jumped on the whole, it's the North Division. Well, you know what? Watch a game. Watch how these players play. They are among the top players in the, in the league today, and to, to discredit them because they're playing in the North Division – I, I mean, I, I really don't have time for it, to be honest. I, we're at the point now where it's like the whole entire slander against the Maple Leafs. Oh, 67, last time you won a cup, you lost a Zamboni driver. Get better material at this point because, yeah, whatever. So what? I'm over it. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like one of those memes where I'm just sitting there. You know, you, you use one of those same lines you've used for, for the last, you know, 50-something years and... Um, I'll just sit back, sip, sip on my coffee and, and uh, wait for the next, uh, next line to come out. Kermit the frog meme. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, with that said, Peter, um, before we close it out, a huge shout out to the Calgary flames and the Vancouver Canucks for playing a meaningless game on a Sunday night where, Vancouver has come back from 5-1 down in the third period to tie it up. They're now in overtime as we record this podcast. But uh, what do you what do you have for our listeners and our readers as we head forward into playoff action for the Maple Leafs? 
Um, yeah. I mean, I know we talked about it on the show at the beginning. I mean, yeah, the game itself doesn't have any merit, but you know what? The fact that they're still playing is important. They want to play it out. That's great. It's just, I know when we were talking about how they're playing and we have to wait on hold because they need to finish off their the series because of the fact that it's still technically regular season for them. You still could have played both. I mean, you, you talked about Bo Horvat, uh, Noah Gadjevich playing milestone games. It's important for them. I'm glad they're playing the games. It's just, you know, you could have you could have played both at the same time. That's where I was where we were getting at throughout the whole entire episode. Um it's great that they're still playing it out. Great that they're going to be going to distance, considering what happened with the Canucks this year. You you want to root for them. Um, same thing with the Flames. Just hope everything works out in the end. They're going to be playing their hearts out. Tough year for everybody. But at the same time, I got something coming out about the X-Factors and top three underrated players to watch for the Leafs uh, during the playoffs or series with the Habs slash playoffs. So... A lot of options with that one. Beautiful. And uh, as many of you hopefully know, I just released my top 128 prospects for the 2021 NHL draft. Four rounds, 128 prospects. Check it out. I'll spoil it for you. Matty Beniers is still number one, but a <laughs> lot of movement in that first round. Um, again, it's going to be an exciting draft and I know you're talking a lot about, uh, drafts and prospects as well. So check us out over at the hockey writers. Um, aside from that, I will be doing a statistical breakdown of the Maple Leafs and Montreal series as we head into it on Thursday. Puck drop is very, going to be very exciting for the both of us. We're excited to uh, get that underway. Um, that said, if you haven't already, check out all the great new shows over at the Hockey Writers. We're on YouTube at the Hockey Writers as well. Um, you know, Chicks and Sticks, uh, a great new show uh, on on the Hockey Writers uh, podcast uh, podcast um, channel as well uh, on on their YouTube channel. As for us. We have a video ready for our YouTube channel, and we will be hitting YouTube very, very, very soon. All of our interviews with all of our guests. So you don't just have to listen. You can watch us. You can see our ugly mugs um, <laughs> and, and get involved as well. Um, we hope that you do check that out. Please subscribe if you can and if you'd like. Uh, with that, Peter, it's been a fun, long night of playoff predictions uh, we thank you all again for joining us for episode 40 of the podcast. You can follow Peter on Twitter at pbarakini. You can follow myself at Andrew G. Forbes or the podcast on Instagram and uh, Twitter at Sticks in the Six Pod, S T I X I N T H E 6 I X P O D. Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you can listen to your podcasts and download our latest episodes. Subscribe, comment, get involved. We love to hear your thoughts, your feedback as well. As I mentioned, we will be hitting YouTube this week. Be sure to check that out. Rate, review us so we can continue to bring you all kinds of content going forward. Until next time, episode 41, after the Leafs get underway here. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Absolutely. Stay safe.